Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Go over to the book of Romans chapter 12. And we're going to continue with this that we have been on. Uh, I actually, when we started this, I entitled it, Let Us Draw Near. And, uh, but the Lord has kind of taken us a, uh, not a different direction, but uh, we've been looking at this renewing of the mind. And uh, I was talking to my wife this morning at the breakfast table, and I said, I just, uh, I don't, I don't want to get off this topic, but I just really can't find a place to jump off, so we'll just keep going with it. And amen. And uh, the, the verse that we had been starting off with in the beginning of this series was Hebrews 10, 22. The first part of that verse says, let us draw near. And uh, that word draw near means to draw near, to worship, to be near. And the Lord helped us see that there are believers that are kind of living a life that's uh, sort of arm's distance with God. And they're not drawing near as maybe they should. And the, the issue with that, in large part, is the renewing of their mind. And so Romans 12 and verse 1 it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or in light of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or your rational service. The Amplified Bible says your act of spiritual worship. And then he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so we've said in previous uh, messages that this is an intentional volitional act. This is, this is something you've got to make it a point to do, all right, to present my body and renew my mind. I've got to do something with my body and my mind, all right? I am to renew my mind, and we talked about this. We're to renew our mind where our covenant rights are concerned, We're to renew our mind so that we can think like God thinks, but that's not really the application of renewing the mind in this scripture. I mean, that's that's vital. You have to do that, but that's not the application here. Paul says, do not be conformed. It's the present imperative tense in the Greek, and it literally is this. Stop it. Stop being conformed to this world. All right? And then he says, to be transform but first I have to not be conformed and it comes from two words that means the first one means with or together and the second term means form so the Holy Spirit saying through Paul simply this don't be together with the form of this world all right if you've ever worked on a construction site and you've worked where they're pouring concrete well, you know, when they back the concrete truck up or they, they you know, you're, you're, you're uh, uh, spreading that concrete, they don't just, if they're building a, make it, laying a sidewalk, they don't just pour the concrete out there and try to work on it. The first thing you'll see is a form because they want that, con, that sidewalk to be formed. They call it a concrete form. And so whatever goes in that form is going gonna, is gonna to be in those dimensions. Amen. And so Paul is saying, you don't want, the Phillips translation says, don't be squeezed into the mold of this world. So Paul's saying, you need to stop being together with the way the world thinks. And stop being together with the form of this world or with the world's form. We're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Amen. We're supposed to to use the word in two areas. First of all, where our flesh is concerned and where our mind is concerned. Right? 
We're told that we renew our mind, James chapter 1, we'll look at it later. We renew our mind, our souls are saved, our souls are rescued by receiving the engrafted word that's able to save our soul, right? So we use the word in two areas, where our flesh is concerned and where our mind is concerned. Because you need to understand this, our whole mental outlook should be radically altered from this world's way of thinking. It should be radically altered from the way the world thinks. All right? And here's why. The Amplified Bible says of of, uh, Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the, notice, the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitude. So he's saying once you get born again and you begin the process of the renewing of your mind, notice that you get new ideals and new attitudes. It's the entire renewing of your mind. The the, uh, Living Bible says don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Now why, why is that important? Because he's saying stop that. Stop copying the behaviors and the customs of this world. That's not who you are. That's not who you're supposed to represent. Amen. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Notice in James 1 and verse 21. It says, we quoted it earlier. It says, uh, to lay apart all wickedness, superfluity of naughtiness, right? And and, and, And receive with meekness the engrafted word of the implanted word, which is able to save your soul, which is able to change you, rescue you, deliver your soul. Amen. Now we read this word soul in the Bible, and the word soul refers specifically now to the mind, the will, and the emotions of mankind. It's also used in the Bible in a general sense. To refer to the whole person. Souls were saved. Something along those lines. But here's, here's the thing. If, uh, if you were to go to Nashville, Tennessee, and go to a restaurant in Nashville, uh, that's where Pastor Michelle and I met and, and were married and lived there for a number of years. She worked When we got married, she was working at a place called Old Charlie's, a restaurant somewhat like Applebee's, something like that. If you go to Nashville, and you, go try it sometime. Don't just take my word for it. If you go in a restaurant there and they say, uh, what do you want to drink? Tell them, say, I want a Coke. And here's what they'll say, what kind? Now you're thinking regular Coke or Diet Coke. But you'll be sitting there and they'll say, what kind? And you'll hear somebody say, "Uh, Dr. Pepper. Right? Now, Dr. Pepper's not Coke. So they, they, they use, the, all of those are soft drinks, but nobody says, I want a soft drink. They say, I want a Coke. They're referring to a soft drink. So that just covers, for them, it covers the whole spectrum. But yet, if you really want a Coke, C-O-K-E, right? And they say, what kind? You say, Coke. I want a Coca-Cola. So the soul is used specifically to refer to the mind, the will, and the emotions, but it's also used in a general sense to represent the overall person. The Word is what changes our soul for the better. The Word is what makes the difference. Amen. And we have to be certain that we're doing something with our minds. I've quoted Brother Hagin a lot in this series. Brother Hagin said this, he said, you've got to get up every day and do something with your mind because your mind doesn't stay renewed anymore than your hair stays combed. I've, right? I'm, amen. I'm, I might not fall back into the entire way of thinking, but if you let too many days go by, your mind starts reverting back in some ways and you start falling short in the things of God. And that's why you'll run into people and they'll say, well, does it really take all that? Well, how bad do you want your mind to stay renewed? Because it takes all that. 
That's why you'll see somebody, they'll come to church that have been delivered out of a lifestyle, whatever it may be, a lifestyle of addiction, a lifestyle of alcoholism, a, a, a life, whatever, just a real sinful lifestyle. And they'll come to church and they'll get radically saved and delivered and they'll get in the Word of God and, man, they're just moving forward. If that person doesn't keep the pressure on their mind, they can go back to their other way of thinking because the Word, the Word is the living Word of God. It's what keeps your mind in touch with the Spirit of God. It's the bridge between you and the power of God in your life. And when you're putting the Word of God to work, the Word which is living, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the living Word of God, it's consistently bringing the life of God into your body and into your mind and renewing you to the image of God. Amen. So I have to be certain that I'm doing something with my mind. Again, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And uh, the King James, of course, says, not to be conformed to this world. The Woos Bible says this. And stop assuming an outward expression, notice this, that does not come from within you. So he's saying, you need to start looking like who you are on the inside. He goes on and says that this is not representative of what you are in your inner being, but it is, here's the word, patterned after this age. Patterned after this age. My outside eventually needs to look like my inside. And how does that happen? By the renewing of my mind. To what fact? That I'm not going to be patterned after this age. When, when I was a boy growing up, many of you remember, I don't know if they still sell these or not. They probably do. I don't know why they wouldn't. But when I was a boy growing up, uh, my mother did a little sewing, not a lot. But uh, she might want to sew my sister a blouse or a skirt or something of that nature. And she'd go to the store and, and buy a pattern, right? And, and some, some, some uh, 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 material that she wanted to make that shirt out of or that blouse or that skirt. And she would go home and lay all that out and then pin that pattern to that, to that material and take the shears and cut out the pattern, Right? And if you knew what you were doing, it looked like the picture that you saw on the package. But notice, that pattern came from somebody else. That, that didn't come from her mind. It came from somebody else. There, there are believers that are patterning their life after a pattern that God didn't give them. The world gave it to them. And they're just thinking along those lines and they're conforming to the world and therefore they're, they're acting like the world and the presence of God can't do what He wants to do in their life because they're patterning everything after this age. Oh, glory. So Paul's saying, of course, he was writing to the church at Rome, the age of the Roman Empire, but he's saying whatever age you're living in, don't be patterned after that age. Whatever time you're living in, don't be patterned after that age. You know, I've heard preachers say, well, you know, 50 years ago it wasn't as bad as it is today. Well, it might not have been, but you still had to renew your mind 50 years ago. Right? Paul's writing hundreds, thousands of years ago, over a thousand years ago. And he's writing to the church that, notice, they, they didn't have television. They didn't have the things we have. And Paul said, you still have to renew your mind. Amen. We cannot allow what's on the outside of us to reflect the world's ideas. Hallelujah. Instead of what's inside of us. Do you see that? And, and, and you have people that what you see on the outside is a reflection of the world's thinking instead of what's on the inside of them. Hallelujah. How do we do that? By the renewing of our mind. I begin to renew my mind. We're not supposed, this is something I had to see. We're not supposed to represent the world to God. We represent God to the world. God doesn't need anybody to remind Him how bad things are or how bad they can look. 
Here, here's my point. You got a lot of believers that they're not representing God to the world. Look, look at Ephesians 4 and verse 17. Is this okay? Say it out loud. We're growing. Amen. Ephesians 4 and 17. The King James says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you walk not, that you henceforth, or from here on out, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So he's writing to the Ephesian church, and, uh, and of course they're not Jews, so he says other Gentiles. But notice he's writing to save Gentiles. And he says, don't walk like other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. The Living Bible says, let me say this then, speaking for the Lord, live no longer, here's the phrase, as the unsaved do. Don't live like the unsaved. Why? For they are blinded and confused. They close, their closed hearts are full of darkness. They're far away from the life of God because they've shut their minds against Him and they cannot understand His ways. So when, when a believer is adopting the pattern of thinking of this world, here's what they enter into. Number one, they're living like the unsaved do and they're leading a life that's blinded and confused because they close their hearts to the way God wants to do things and they can't think like God thinks because they're adopting a pattern that the world has. Behavior's important, but how do you think? Amen. We, I, I've talked about this in this series. You run into people and they put all the emphasis on what they're doing. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And I don't. Well, that's important, but how do you think? See, if I'm thinking wrong, I can't consistently behave correctly. Just can't because my thinking's wrong. Hallelujah. Remember when you came to the understanding that until you saw sin as against God, you didn't see it right? Now, you may not have put it in those words, but when you came to the understanding that when, when you committed a sin, it hurt the heart of God, it changed the way you looked at sin. Right? Changed the way you looked at it because I love God, I don't want to hurt Him. See, the world doesn't think that way. Glory to God. The problem with the unsaved, according to Paul, is their minds. Their actions were following their thinking. The world's thinking is two things. It's vain and it's perverse. It's perverted thinking. The Amplified Bible says, You must no longer live as the heathen, the Gentiles, in their, do in, in, in their perverseness, in the folly, the vanity, the emptiness of their souls, and the futility of their minds. If we allow the thoughts and the standards of the world to shape our thinking, we'll eventually talk that way. And when we talk that way, we'll act that way. You can't, right? Because the way you think is the way you'll talk, and that's how you'll act. The Phillips translation says they are cut off from the life of God. The New English Bible says they are strangers to the life that's in God. So notice this. He states that the world is cut off from the life of God. They are strangers to the life that is in God. They are ignorant of the things of God. And their minds are dark. So why would we want to act and think like them? When they're cut off from the life of God, right? They're ignorant of the things of God. Their minds are dark. And yet you got believers that want to get on the same bandwagon the world's on and call it good. Amen. Now that might not be you. I pray it's not. But, but the point is, you know every one of us know believers that you think, are they saved? 
Right? I mean, I, I've known believers before and they'll say they did something or went somewhere or, or got involved with something. I'm thinking, are they saved? I mean, I thought they were born again. And, and then here's what you'd hear. Well, now don't judge. That's phony holiness. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. That's, amen. I'm, I'm not talking about a legalistic lifestyle. I'm not talking about a holier-than-thou lifestyle. I'm talking about a change in your life that results from the renewing of your mind. Amen. amen. Folks, listen. One, 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 of the, one of the things that we have, one of the things that we have in our nation right now that the enemy's trying to use to divide uh, the nation and divide the church is this issue of racism, this issue of, 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 of divisiveness and, and inclusion, right? And diversity. That's what the world calls it. Inclusion and diversity. But their idea of inclusion is us accepting everything they do and shutting up about what we believe. If it's real inclusion, then you're, you, you, you respect my beliefs. But here's the thing. The world's never going to respect your beliefs. Because their mind is darkened. And, 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 and white or black, you can't adopt a prejudiced stance against any color and still act like you're living like a saved person supposed to. Amen. Well, you know, we now now and and everybody says it. You talk if you talk to white people, it's it's the Hispanic people and the black people's fault. Y'all there, you're going home. Right? If if you talk to, to black folks and Hispanic folks, it's the white man keeping us down, keeping us under. Well, Pastor, have there been injustices? Yes, there's been injustices. There's been injustices to all kinds of people. But here's the thing. When you adopt an unsaved, unchristian, unbiblical stance towards that issue, you're living like the unsaved live. That The real church is a model of how to be inclusive and how to and how, right and how to bring races together because in the real church governed by the Holy Spirit, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, black nor white. Amen. Amen. And if you look at me and you're a different race, and all you see is a white man, you need to renew your mind. And if I look at you and all I see is a different race, I need to renew my mind. Amen. When I was a younger man, I, I would go preach. I, I was traveled, traveled as a minister, itinerant minister, and I'd be invited to a black church to minister. And it always bothered me because they'd say, we're so glad to have our white brother. <laughs> I was so tempted sometimes to go, what? 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 I never did. Because it, it, it never crossed my mind. I, you know, I realized there were people, I'm using this, for an example, I realized there were people that were raised prejudiced and racist. I wasn't. It never crossed my mind to look at someone and say, that's my black friend or that's my Mexican friend. They're just my friend. Why? My mind was renewed. Do, do you see how easy that is? And, and, but Christians will jump on those those uh, bandwagons under the guise of we're battling injustice regardless of how unbiblical the platform of that group might be. I better move away from that. I think I lost my crowd. But, but, but it's true. If, if, if the word works for everybody, amen, that's the answer. And so you've got people that need to renew their mind. Amen. Glory. Why would we want to gain the world's admiration or approval? Why does it matter to Christians that the world approves of us? 
They're not going to. You might as well just deal with that. Amen. But you, you, you've got Christians that, that, that you know, I, I think they think that if they, if they uh, act and think that way, that they'll leave them alone. The problem is, is that won't work. At some point, when the world is confronted with the gospel, the gospel is going to go crosswise of what they believe. Has to. Amen. Jesus never failed to confront people with the gospel. Eh, hallelujah. Now notice verse uh, 20 there of Ephesians 4. But you have not so learned Christ. Now we don't use that phrase a lot. You know, you've not so learned this. The Phillips translation says, you learn nothing like that from Christ. The Jerusalem Bible says, now that is hardly the way you have learned from Christ. So what's he saying? Talking about walking as other Gentiles, he says, you didn't learn that from Christ. You didn't learn anything like that from Jesus. Verse 21 says, If so be you've heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. So the truth is not in how the world thinks or how they do things. The truth is in Jesus. And then verse 23 Actually, verse 22, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, and notice, true holiness. Everybody say, true holiness. Now, why is this important? He says, put off, what does that mean? Don't be conformed, put it off. And then put on, what's that? Be transformed. How? By renewing your mind. And then he says, in righteousness and true holiness. There's a lot of phony righteousness and phony holiness in the world. Phony. Because the world will take principles from the Word of God and use them to, pro, to uh, uh, promote their ungodly agenda. I'll give you a couple. This one right here. <laughs> judge not lest you're judged. And you'll see rank sinners walking with shirts on. Nobody can judge me but God. If you don't get saved, he's gonna. Amen. I was watching a television program one time, and they had two people on there of differing views. And they had a person that was living a, a sinful lifestyle there, and they had a Christian. And, and, and they, they were talking to the Christian first, well, why do you think whatever they were doing is wrong? And, and they went to the Scripture. And, and the man sitting over there, he, said, he, he made this statement. He said, well, all I can say is Jesus said don't judge. That's not what Jesus said. It's, Jesus never said don't judge where sin is concerned. When he said judge not lest you be judged, he was talking about criticizing your brother when you were doing the same thing. Right? Judge not lest you be judged. And remember then he went on down and he said, because how can you tell your brother, pull the splinter out of your eye and there's a, bl a plank in your eye? Pull the plank out of your eye, and then you can see clearly to help your brother. But see, that's phony righteousness. That's phony holiness. Well, I, I don't, I'll just have to depend on God's goodness because, you know, we're all just sinners saved by grace, and, and I'll, just, I'll just depend on God when I get there. Don't, don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake because you'll end up in a very hot place. Hallelujah. Uh, here's another one. Well, you know, Jesus taught unconditional love and acceptance. No, he didn't. 
I read it this morning in the book of Luke. Jesus said, you think I came to bring peace on the earth? He said, I didn't. I came to bring a sword. In the context, he was saying, there are those of you that are going to follow me and there's going to be people in your own house that are going to turn on you because you're following me. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say water down the message so they'll accept it. Right? Amen. When Jesus stood before the, uh, uh, the religious leaders of his day, when they had him on trial, remember in, uh, it, it tells us in, in, in the book of Matthew, they finally pushed him and they said, are, are you the son of God? He said, I am. And you'll see me coming one day in the clouds of glory. Right? Even, even, and you never heard Jesus make that kind of proclamation in his ministry with that forcefulness until that moment. Even in the face of that opposition, he refused to be conformed to their way of thinking. Amen. I was sitting with a person one time, my wife and I and, and some other people, and uh, they were advocates of, uh, of uh, same-sex marriage. And, uh, you know, when you start talking about things like this, people uh, accuse you of hate speech and, and, you know, you're not inclusive and you're divisive and, and whatever. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's not hate speech. It's just it's what the Word says. And they said, well, Jesus never said anything about marriage. I said, beg your pardon? What about when, when they came to him and they said, is it, is it lawful to put away your wife for every cause? And Jesus said, haven't you read where when he created them in the beginning, he created them male and female? And he said, and for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave only to his wife. So Jesus said, in the beginning, God created two genders, male and female. And those were the genders that get married. And he said, the man is the husband and the, and the, and the woman is the wife. My point in telling you that story is Jesus did too say something about marriage and he said it was between a man and a woman. Oh, glory. Right? And if you're not careful, you'll get lulled into wrong thinking. Well, I mean, they seem to be in love. It's sin. It's not, it's not love. It's perversion. It's lust. Well, you know, I'm, I'm born again. You are not born again practicing homosexuality. And you, people say that's a hard line to take. But if you start thinking the other way, now you're being conformed. And now you can't help anybody because you're thinking like they think. And, and that goes for anything. You know, Sometimes in, in, in the church, you know, that we get these pet peeve sins. And there's just certain things. Folks, sin is sin is sin is sin. God doesn't grade sin on a curve. It's not, well, you told a lie and that's down here. That's a, you know, that's a five. Oh, but boy, you committed adultery. That's 120. No. He, he, the ground is level at the cross. And the same blood that will, that will forgive a lie will forgive and cleanse adultery. Are you following me? But in, in the context here of this phony righteousness, I've had people tell me, well, the Lord, the Lord will just have to forgive me. No, He doesn't. You do realize that, right? God doesn't have to forgive you. Unless you make a change and make Jesus the Lord of your life. I've had people tell me, when I stand before the Lord, I just, I just pray that, he, that, that my good outweighs my bad. It never will. Be because no matter how much good you try to do, you can never fix the problem that you were born a sinner and once you, once you, you, you enter into life, that begins to grow in you. 
And until you receive Jesus, the sin problem cannot be taken care of. And when you stand before God, God is going to look at you either through the blood of Jesus or without the blood of Jesus. You want Him to see you in the blood. Are you following me? And, and the world has this idea, this phony righteousness, that, well, I'm a good person. Can I tell you that there are no good people that don't know Jesus? Because they don't have the ability to be good. Where does goodness come from? God. Jesus said, what did he say to the rich young ruler? Good master, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? He said, why do you call me good? There's one good but God. Well, why would Jesus say that? Wasn't he good? Jesus was a minister under the old law. And under the old law, he said, there's no one good but God. So any goodness that you get is from God. And when you get born again, you start on the pathway. Uh, oh, you see what I'm saying? And people get into this phony righteousness. Well, I do right, and I help, and I help the homeless, and, and, I, and I give into this. Well, that's fine. The Bible says, Paul said you can give your body to be burned, but if you're thinking like the world and not walking in love, it profits you nothing. Hallelujah. Do you see that? Here's another one. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little drink. Except that's how the world thinks. Think about that. You know, I would never expect to drive by, and I don't know the names of the bars, I don't go, but I would never expect to drive by a known place that's a bar and see Bill Hurst's car. I would never expect that. I would, ne I would not expect it. Why? He's saved. When Pastor Michelle and I go into a restaurant and they say, well, you know, we haven't seen this for about a year, but they used to say it, you know, uh, uh, well, we're full. Uh, is it okay to seat you in the bar? No, it's not. Yeah, but you're not going to be drinking, but I'm in the bar. What did the Bible say? Shun the very appearance of evil. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but reprove them. Well, Pastor, I'm not convicted about going into the bar. I'm not talking about conviction. I'm talking about what's right or wrong. I'm talking about the thinking process. Right? If you start thinking it's okay to sit in a bar, you might start thinking something else is okay. Hallelujah. Somebody told me one time, they, they were talking about a, a diet plan they were on, an a eating plan, and they said, well, today's my cheat day. I said, who told you you get a cheat day? Cheat day? Oh, there's a lifestyle. <laughs> well, you know, Paul said, take a little wine mm -hmm, for your stomach. You got a bad stomach? Are, 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 is the water bad where you live? That, that's what was Timothy's problem. He was drinking that bad water, and Paul said, take a, a little bit of this wine. It'll kill those parasites. So I've, I've asked people before, they say, well, you, can we have a little wine? You got a bad stomach? <laughs> I see this, we're talking about right. And I, I heard, I was listening to a podcast one time, and I heard a, a well-known minister, if I said his name, you'd know him. They asked him, they said, it was a leadership podcast, and they said, what are some of the things that, that you enjoy doing? And he said, well, every night I like an eight-ounce glass of red wine. Huh? And, and here's the reasoning. Because at eight ounces, you, you can't get uh, um, buzzed. How many believers heard that and came away thinking, it's okay to drink wine? See what I'm saying? Well, Pastor, you know, that, that, that sounds like you're one of those teetotalers. Oh, yes, I am a teetotaler. Why? Because that's how we think. 
You see what I'm saying? The problem with a little drink, the problem with don't judge me, the problem with Jesus taught unconditional acceptance is that's how the world thinks. Amen. The, the, the problem with losing our temper and cussing is that's how the world thinks. Pastor Michelle taught a, a, a series years ago about cutting the cusser out. <laughs> and when you get born again, the word, which is the Bible says is the sword of the spirit, cuts the cusser out. Mm, let me move on. Right? Folks, make no mistake, that's how the world thinks. That's how the world thinks. The Amplified Bible says, Let your lives be so in contrast as to expose and reprove and convict them. Let your life be so in contrast to who? To the world. That what happens? You expose, you reprove, and you convict them. Our lifestyle should convict the unsaved. It really should. There are things that people should be uncomfortable doing around us. I remember one time, and I was just a little, little bitty boy, and my mom and dad pastored in Wilmington, Ohio, and they, they were going, my mom was going on home visits. My dad was traveling, and my mom was going on home visits. And she went to visit this lady that had asked her to come. This lady's husband wasn't saved. And uh, he came to the door, and when he came to the door, he had a cigarette. And he saw it was the pastor's wife. I'll never forget it. He, he palmed that cigarette. And the smoke was just coming out of his hand. And boy, you could tell he was, he was gritting his teeth. But it's the pastor. Can't smoke in front of the pastor. Did, we know, know he, did she know, know he smoked? Yes. But note, notice how he thought. The first thing that gripped him was conviction. Right? Amen. God did not place the church in the earth to make sinners feel good. Our job's to wake them up. Th think about this for a moment. And uh, let me see what time I got. Okay, I got about eight minutes. I'm good. Back, what, it's been 30 years ago now or, or more. Something started in the church. They call, some, some people called it the seeker-sensitive movement, uh, seeker-friendly movement. And what it basically was, and you remember it, but what it basically was, was we begin to do things in our churches to make the unsaved feel comfortable. Dressing down. Well, you know, if they come to church and the pastor's in a suit and a tie, they'll feel uncomfortable. And so they, they quit taking up the offering because it'll make the unsaved feel pressured. One pastor told my pastor, Pastor Caldwell, he said, I've quit allowing the gifts of the Spirit in my services because it makes the unsaved uncomfortable. And pastor said, wrong. He said, according to Scripture, it'll make them aware that God is in that place. But think, here's my point. You know, I'm not talking about clothes. But when we start dumbing things down to make the sinner feel comfortable, who are we thinking like? The world. My, my job is not to make the sinner feel comfortable in church. My, my job is to help them change their life. Amen. And, and, and so you, you, you see things where you know, okay, we're going we're gonna to quit dressing this way and we're going to dress down. And, and what happens? To the level that you begin to lower your standard, your life follows that trajectory. It's not just about wearing a suit. It's not just about, right? But remember, when you were a kid, you had your church clothes and your play clothes. One of the quickest ways to get a whooping when I was growing up was play in your church clothes. Because those are your church clothes. Amen. 
There were times I would come out, even when I was a teenager, I would come out dressed for church and my mother would say, you're not going to church in that. Well, why not? It's what everybody else is wearing. I don't care what everybody else is wearing. You are not going to church in that. Well, wasn't that a little hard? You can say that, but it taught me a respect. It taught me that when I go to church, it's not like I'm going to the park. I'm not talking about clothes. I'm talking about a way of thinking. And so you've got 30 years of people that think, I can approach God however I want. I just go to church and I want to be comfortable. I'm, I'm going to get my latte in the foyer and I'm going to wear my flip-flops into the sanctuary with my shorts and my halter top and I'm going to sit there and wait on the man of God to give his talk while I sit my mocha. And what does the man of God do? Instead of preaching the word to change people's life, he shortens his message to 20 to 25 minutes so they'll feel comfortable. Amen. Are you with me? Now again, I'm not talking about a coffee shop in the foyer. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm saying, why do we have it? Why does the church want a Starbucks in the foyer? So people will feel comfortable. We'll get them here with the coffee. But if I don't say something that challenges them to renew their mind, then I've missed the point. Amen. You know, styles change. And I'm all about keeping up with the, the style. My, the style of my suits have changed. I've got pictures of me in double-breasted suits with lapels out to here. I mean, and right? And I mean, then I've, I've got pictures of me in the 90s, dear Lord. And the 80s, you know, opaque colors and aqua and orange and, and, right, bold floral patterns in my tie. Amen. I even had the preacher do. I mean, a woo. But here's, here's, my, here's my point. So it's not about style. It's why are we doing it? Right? To make the unsaved feel comfortable? Because if I do, then I'm thinking like them. Let me hurry. Am I helping you with this? James 4. James 4 and verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy or lusteth enviously? What is he saying? The Jerusalem Bible says, The Spirit which He sent to live in us wants us for Himself alone. He's saying the Holy Spirit wants you for God alone. That's not a holier-than-thou life, but a life that seeks God's truth, a life that seeks God's values. It's a life that seeks God's mindset and God's favor above everything else. I want God's truth, so I have a standard. I want God's values, so I have a standard. I want God's mindset, so I have a standard. I want God's favor, so I don't think like the world. Amen. Over what? Over everything else. Over everything else. Last scripture, 1 John 2. Glory to God. We're growing. We're growing. 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? For all that's in the world. And notice he says the lust of the flesh. He, he, he lists them. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. This is describing what drives the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
And notice what he says. These things are not of the Father. So if they're not of the Father, it shouldn't be in our mindset. Is that right? And then he said, the world, this age, is passing away. If the world doesn't value righteousness, my family, they're not going to value us. If the world doesn't value righteousness, they're not going to value me and you. If people have no respect for the things of God, we have no business being respected by them. If they don't respect the things of God, I'm not out after their respect. The Lord asked me this. He said, who are Christians trying to impress? Now, I realize we got to touch the world, and, and, and I have acquaintances in the world that are unsaved, and I love them, and I, and I want them to be born again. But here's the point. I'm not trying to impress them. I'm not trying to come down on their level. So they can be comfortable with me and I can be comfortable with them. Amen. When we are in the presence of unbelievers, there should be such a marked difference as to make them uncomfortable. Amen. I remember, I'll end with this. Pastor Michelle and I went to Chili's up here off of, uh, off of uh, Markham. Some will have been last year, I think, or maybe year before last. And uh, we walked in. And uh, when, we, when we were seated, the hostess seated us, and, and our server came over. And when, and when she came over, she was, just, she was just looking at us. And uh, she came back and, and uh, uh, you know, took our drink order and then came back and took our, uh, our uh, food order. And when she came back to ask us if everything was okay, I looked at her. And I, and I used this line on her. I said, can I tell you something? She said, what's that? I said, there are two kind of servers in the world. And she said, well, what are they? I said, uh, those that are saved and those that are about to be. Which are you? Immediately, if my wife was sitting here, she could tell you. Immediately, she started crying and got on her knees and said, I woke up this morning and knew I needed to get saved. He said, what would you do? Letter to the Lord. But, but you could tell from the moment she came to our table, something impacted her. And, 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 and it wasn't because I was dressed in a suit. I wasn't dressed in a suit. I was, I was dressed business casual. It, there wasn't a, a sign on my shirt that said, I am a preacher. It was what was in me. It was what was in her. Are you following? Say this out loud. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I desire with everything in me to renew my mind and be conformed to the Word of God. And I will not think or act in line with this world, but I'll think and act in line with the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. God is good to us, amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand on our feet tonight. Praise the Lord.